Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators. They're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them and they deserve to share their voice. So welcome to The Teacher's Story. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully, and today we have Ubasna Kakru with us, and she is the CEO of Pure Bog. Pure Bog is an organization with a mission to create a platform for diverse South Asian-inspired storytelling to engage children and families, and she's an advocate for inclusive storytelling. I think this is so important especially in today's world where there's lots of discussions about what are what our children are reading, what is in our libraries, what is in our schools. And I think that there is such a need for diverse voices. Um, so I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. I'm so excited to be here, Jackie. And, you know, just to be with uh, your readers, to understand your listeners and to understand uh, or give them a perspective about inclusivity and why it's important, I think. And also tell them, you know, what our little nonprofit does and, and why it's necessary. I think it's it's really, um, I'm happy to be here to be able to talk through that. Yeah, this is wonderful. My first question for you, uh, normally I start like how someone got into education or teaching. So kind of along that same vein, what inspired you to even think about, you know, writing children's books or thinking about this inclusive storytelling, any kind of background to lead into this? Oh, yeah, uh, this too, it's in two parts. So I'll start with what got me started with books. Um, so, you know, um, I think books have always been my refuge. Um, growing up, uh, I come from a region which had um, an internal displacement due to terrorism, similar to mm. what you hear about Syria, for example, right now. So I, I was born in a region called Kashmir um, in the Indian part. And um, so we had a very harsh childhood where we had to like sort of move because it, the conditions became really hard in that area for our safety. And um, I did not ever think too much about this situation as a eight-year-old or a nine-year-old, but I think that it sort of creates that sense of grief of losing home and not feeling a sense of belonging, um, which I always somehow kept with me as a child. So what really made me open up to new experiences, learn more, and really feel comfortable was books. And, um, you know, in middle school, I remember it was really rough as it is in for everyone. You know, you're just having so many transitions personally as a child. That was specifically a time where I got a little bullied in school. And I think um, books were giving me that strength to carry on and also see new worlds. Like I genuinely believe that books are our doors, windows and sliding doors into a new culture. I read a lot of British books in that time frame because of the the 200 years of colonialism that India went through. So we had a lot of British literature and I loved it because it somehow got me connected to a world that I wasn't living, but it gave me such broad ideas about how people experience life, whether or not they were having the same life as me. So I think it sort of set me up for very, very diverse reading um, right from that age. Uh, inclusivity part, I think, um, comes later. I've done or I've been in corporate marketing roles for about 20 years. That's the first half of my career, I like to say. 
And it was last year that I was in a conversation with a team and, and you know, we were brainstorming something. And one person sort of made this comment that non-native English speakers can't be creative or can't do creative very offhandishly. And when I heard that, it's sort of like, it, I let it sink in and I'm like, where is this ignorance coming from? Like, you know, uh, there's a lot of countries and a lot of populations in the world that don't speak English and that has no impact on their creativity. I mean, creativity is beyond a language. And um, yeah, so it kind of like surprised me and then sort of I dug deep and I realized that a lot of our exposure here in the United States um, or in the Western world in general is very um, limiting. Um, and those are things that we could fix. Um, and I'm not a complainer. I like to think, what can I do different? How can I help this? And, you know, 90% of our curriculum books are written by people who are not diverse. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, our classrooms are increasingly becoming more and more diverse, like either they are, you know, kids who could be biracial, kids who could be coming from immigrant families, which have different experiences at home and school. So I wanted to find a way in which we could expose our kids to more. This is not my place to tell them what to think, but I think books can help them develop critical thinking so they choose for themselves. And that's what I really believe in. And I think that changed my life. You know, I wasn't always reading Indian literature. Even if I was in India, I was reading all kinds of literature and that has made me into a person who can appreciate different cultures and who can appreciate um, nuances that come with each culture. I don't think there are like extreme black and whites in life, like mm -hmm. usually, yeah, and, you know, I, I say this a lot. This is my fourth country that I've lived in. There are no best countries and worst countries. I think every country or place we live in has its pros and cons. Mm -hmm. And the more we accept, the more we uh, adopt, the better we become as individuals and more well-rounded. And uh, to my son, like as he grows up in different places, I, I kind of like have this imagination of a snowball. Like, you know, you keep adopting and getting more and more layers. Uh, because that's what makes you so rich as an individual. So that's my hope for all kids, not just South Asian. I we use South Asian storytelling as a way to, um, you know, to inspire kids. But this is meant for every child who likes books and who would like to start reading. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for all of your background and that story. And um, we often actually talk about Kashmir in my world history class. So I might ask you another question just to kind of give a little bit more of your background in that. But you come from a background of wanting to, you know, really tell a real story of diversity. And I think that concept of growing up in a lot of places around the world where a lot of the books were either from England or from Westernization kind of perspective mm -hmm. because of imperialism, colonialization. And I think we're in a world now where, like you said, there's no like top countries or not so great countries. Like we're all one world. And like when we just went through a pandemic together, we realized like we're sharing space together. And so sharing those stories together are really important. And then um, students being able to kind of like increase their vocabulary about the world and about others uh, so that they maybe don't make, you know, an ignorant comment like someone made to you. And I remember when you first told me that it was so shocking. I was like, why would someone say that? But, you know, if you think about it, people who maybe grow up or live in a place where they did not have a lot of diversity, 
did not learn about different people and background, that's going to be their thought process, which can be very dangerous because you're often going to think that only English or only Westernization is the way to learn and to be in this world when it's like this world is very, very diverse. So many different backgrounds. English is not the dominant language, maybe in certain countries for business and travel. But honestly, if you look at like the population, a third of the country, uh, the third of the world is in, in China and India, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> thinking English and Westernization is the dominant way is, is not true, you know, population wise. Yeah. I And I think, you know, I, I don't want to make it about language so much. I'm, I, we speak English at home. Let me be clear. My husband and I don't have the same native languages um, or our mother tongues are different. So when we are talking yeah. at home, we are also speaking English and I have nothing against it because I think, you know, um, people love languages. I speak six languages and I love wow. each of them differently. So I think that yeah. this is, this is beyond that. What I want children to know and parents to know is that there is a, there, there are so many different viewpoints and we only mm. get better when we learn about them. And the other thing about books that I want to bring is that, you know, when I was growing up, we were very middle class. Like I didn't always have the um, availability uh, to sort of travel the world, but the books allowed me to travel the world, right? So I wasn't visiting England on the first summer holiday I had because, you know, that was just not the kind of um, accessibility we had as a family. But that didn't mean I couldn't learn about it. And, um, you know, so I think that is why I like it because independent of um, how, um, what is your socioeconomic status or independent of where you live, a big city or a small town, you still have access to books. And, you know, in this country, we have such an incredible institution, both in schools and libraries that Mm -hmm. offer kids the availability or the visibility to to literature and books for free like you don't have to spend but you can mm-hmm. it is such a great way for you to get knowledge and to learn which i really am hoping that we encourage so you know the idea that we could re- we should read for pleasure and uh, learn is something that i really want to sort of think about and and talk more about there's less than 50% americans who are reading for pleasure right now and this is something we need to like wire in like why are we not doing more of it look at the amount of literature in the world like it's just so exciting to be able to be in those activities because your mind expands and you are a new person when you read something extremely well written so that is something that I hope everyone can explore yeah and I think just explaining it the way you did if that's the way we explain it to children is that when you are reading literature from other parts of the world, it's like being able to travel to those countries, being able to step into the shoes of someone living there. And it gives you a worldly view without actually having to get on an airplane and travel. And there, there's a, you know not a lot of accessibility for many people to do that. And so that's a great way of looking at books and literature is that it allows you to see the world and to see these perspectives. Um, can you share a little bit about how you started this organization or maybe like your your first books that you authored? Yeah, so my first books, um, you know, I write, writing for me is like therapy. Like I honestly believe, like I'm lucky to have uh, a therapist. So I, I'm not going to say that, you know, it's the same, but I think writing really helps mm. me get my story out. So it was, I think, um, I the first book I wrote was in 2012. It was a book of nonfiction. I had, um, it was a past part of my master's thesis. So it sort of like just directly flew from there. 
but the first creative or children's book that I wrote was in 2016. And um, I, it was a time when I was really struggling with um, a medical situation personally, which I was, was unexpected. Like I suddenly had this illness that I had to deal with. And I also had my team being um, laid off at the organization I was at. So I was going through like these mm. personal professional moments. And I found this story of, um, you know, a beaver. It was a little beaver in Michigan who was trying to run his first one mile race. And I said, uh, and this is, it's called Little Danny Runs a Race. And I said, uh, how would you feel when you do something new for the first time? Because when you're going through something really harsh in life, uh, I also feel that it's, it's one way that the world, the universe is sort of telling you that there is something to learn. You need to learn something new. And I guess I was mm -hmm. in that mindset of saying, um, I'm not going to let the situation dictate what my life needs to be, I am going to take control because we can't control an external situation. We can only control our response. Mm -hmm. And so my response was, what would a child do? And this little beaver is a child who's trying to run a race. And so that sort of flew into that story. So it was very organic. And I worked with a co-author who was um, my walking partner in our neighborhood. We used to have like a walking uh, group and we would do this like really fast walking and that somehow came from there. Mm. And it showed me how, how therapeutic it is to write. It also showed me how uh, unique it, the process of getting the story out from your heart to paper feels like, because it's um, it's hard to do. But you, yes. if you send <laughs> the resources, you can do it because I genuinely believe everyone has a story inside them. And sometimes you need to trust the process to get it out. Mm -hmm. And everyone has their own unique process. There are things that I teach in workshops to tell people here is what can help you. But ultimately, it's you getting it out of your system. So that was the first book I did. And then um, I guess, you know, after doing after the pandemic specifically, you know, where I kind of questioned where can I have true tangible impact? And mm -hmm. I had a, I was a new mom in the pandemic. And I think this idea of like, how can I? what how can I teach my child without having to be preachy mom and how can mm. I expose my child to things without having to like you know in a way that's fun what, how, what can I do and luckily I got in touch with this organization called Peabug and um, they were called something different at that time but they were a children's monthly magazine that was running out of Montreal in Canada and I had volunteered with them before and we started talking and this was the same time where I was hearing very non-inclusive statements at work. And I'm like, you know, this needs to be bigger. Let's, this is not about us creating monthly magazines. It's about us creating storytellers. Like, how do we do this? Mm -hmm. And so I worked with that organization in as a volunteer for about three to four months till we recreated a new mission. And we, we said, okay, this has to be a nonprofit. And then um, you know, we developed everything that goes uh, in the back end of that. And eventually in February of this year is when I joined them full time. And I think it's really hard, but it's also I can be I can be honest, like in the last 20 years, I've done lots of interesting and great work. This is probably the most creative I have been con most mm. consistently. So I think and, and when I meet with kids and I hear their stories, when we work with them and they produce, we just like last week started releasing audio stories created by kids. And it blows my mind. I mean, they are so creative. And yeah. just to hear that in their voice, like is so satisfying. Um, so I feel like, you know, 
I, it feels good. It feels like I'm doing exactly what I need to be doing. That's awesome. I've heard this so many times this past year from either people I've interviewed or just friends that things are starting to click for people. Like what pulls at their heartstrings? Like what makes them feel like they have a mission and their, um, you know, their service to society and to the world. And then a lot of this around creativity. And it's interesting because I'm just starting to write my first book this uh, summer as well. And it's one of those, <laughs> you're like, what am I doing? I don't even know what I'm doing. And it is hard to sometimes get the story out onto paper, but you just have to try and then practice like makes perfect. And it doesn't have to actually have to be perfect, but you just have to keep going at it. So I think it's just always putting one foot in front of the other and saying, you know what, if it feels good, if it feels right in my heart to do this next thing, just do it. And even if there's stumbling blocks, that's okay. I love that this is an organization about kids becoming authors. So mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit more about, did that come from you or was that already part of the organization? And then how, you know, how has that kind of developed? So it did, it was uh, both, I guess. Um, so the organization was already running a children's magazine, which was by children. By, by that, I mean that there were children submitting articles and mm -hmm. these children were submitting articles from three different countries, I guess. They were in Canada, the U.S., as well as India. That is where this team was based. So like sort of they were a group of volunteers all over the world. And yeah. they were having different schools uh, submit um, writing of kids directly. And that's what that was what was making the magazine, basically. And so there was this element of like getting children to become storytellers. So what we did from our side was... Um, how do we teach kids how to do this? So we do workshops with kids and in the summer it happens every week, Friday, but usually we do it like a monthly workshop where kids can come in and we talk through different tools, different frameworks. We do like a, a story readout and then we tell them, we do a small story, like a really a excerpt of a story and then we tell them, go ahead and now write your own endings and they work in small groups they create their own unique endings. And then we tell them, oh, like this is how the story actually ended, but this is how you ended it. So that's super creative because oh, they, cool. they create something totally new, right? And so that's one thing that we do. And in that process, we always pick up a story that comes from a whole different culture that they might not know. And mm -hmm. that gives them that energy to learn something uh, about something new, but also be able to like end it by their sem th themselves. So they're using both their listening and writing skills really mm -hmm. well. Um, and we also do three times in a year, we run uh, competitions, short story competitions for kids. We have one that is happening right now. Our summer event is called, the theme is Summer in the Hills. And children can submit short stories up to a thousand words um, till the end of July. And any child can submit really. But typically it's like we get most entries in the six to nine-ish age group. That's the age group that we are most engaged with. And they'll submit like incredible stories and mm. then we publish them as audio stories. Um, and we also publish them on our blog. So they get like, you know, first of all, their voices are, they're like really creative and unique voices stored forever. And then they, um, that's their first publication usually at that age. And so we get very, very excited when that happens. Mm -hmm. The children are excited. They win prizes and it sort of engages their creative muscle. So um, that these are like, you know, ways in which we directly work with parents and kids, but we also will go to schools or libraries to do different workshops, which could be seasonal, 
like we did workshops on the Indian festival of Holi. And mm -hmm. now I guess in November, we'll end up doing something on Diwali. Uh, and we always want kids to do something. So these are very activity oriented. Um, in the Holi workshop, they learned how to make color at home. In the Diwali workshop, I think we are going to do like um, decorations, like how to make a lamp at home, something like that, so that they feel engaged and it doesn't mm. feel like I'm coming there and preaching them some like massive story that no one knows about. So they actually do things, yeah. uh, which is the way we want kids to be because it should be fun. It should feel like play. It doesn't need to be another thing that they that is forced on them. This is something that they really can engage with. Yeah. And I like the idea of hands on and they're creating something. And when students create something, especially about a culture or religion holiday, then they're taking part in it, but not saying like, we're, you know, like you said, preaching <laughs> or saying this is the, the religion or the holiday and this is our beliefs. And then thinking that they should have to believe that, but they're taking part in the festivities and having fun and then and learning a little bit about a culture and I love this idea of them sharing their voice and creating stories. And when you talk to students and say like, you're an author or you're an artist or you're a scientist, like it becomes something that they can have some ownership and feel like, oh, I can be this. And it builds their confidence so that as they grow as a student, they're like, I have this capability. Like I can do this. I love that. Um, has there been any feedback you want to share about your students or like just any stories about the work that they're doing and like how they kind of like light up in front of you or what you've seen in this uh, work in your organization? Yeah, I think both with teachers and students have seen this that, you know, they light up and what you were describing for teachers, we actually have a program which is called um, a creative confidence and storytelling program specifically mm. for teachers who want to use storytelling in classrooms. And I work with, um, we did like two big cohorts this year and we have another coming up in August and in September. And these teachers will tell us that they teach, um, you know, social sciences and, you know, how do they use storytelling in that? But you can, because mm -hmm. we tell them the tools to, even if you are teaching math, like you could use storytelling to engage the kids more. And no matter who you are, all human beings are natural storytellers. We just sometimes mm -hmm. need to be nudged and told that, yeah, I mean, you can say it like a story because you know that. 22% more people are going to remember the fact you're teaching them when it's mm -hmm. wrapped in a story. So it's 22 times more mm -hmm. impactful. So why wouldn't we use it, right? And exactly. Yeah, so I think there is elements of, yeah. so when I share those statistics and how our brain works with teachers in mm -hmm. our workshops, you know, I sometimes people will gasp because they don't normally think about this in, in this manner. And people mm -hmm. don't always, they always think, oh, storytelling, meaning you must be a creative writer. You don't always need to be a writer, but you can be someone who is trying to engage uh, children. Mm -hmm. Or you, you could be someone who is trying to have persuasive communication. And that's literally everyone, right? Who doesn't need that mm -hmm. kind of like frameworking and tools? And the other thing with kids, um, they get really excited and they will ask me, how do you think my story is? So there is that mm -hmm. element of tentativeness that I see. Yeah. And it reminds me of myself when I was a child. You know, I grew up um, not unlike lots of people here who often will think about writing as a hobby. Mm -hmm. Because how can this be a profession? How is it going to pay the bills and all of that? Like, you know, a lot of people who are not super rich tend to have that kind of mindset. And so I always wrote, but I somehow always thought it's a hobby and not something I could do. 
Mm-hmm. And I didn't have anyone as a mentor who could tell me that you could be a writer. And I hadn't internalized that message till mm-hmm. a long time. So I want kids to know that they can be who they want to be because the world needs more creative people, right? And yes. the world needs more different creative people. So even if like the one thing they pick from the workshop is that they can be, that my work is done. Like if I have five kids at the end of the year, which I already have because they've like given me their voice and written stories, which are incredible. I feel that this is our accomplishment because we're a non-profit. I'm not like running this for making millions of dollars. I'm running this to have this tangible impact where I have 12 kids in a year who've published short stories in their voices who feel like they're artists. And what is greater than that, right? I mean, when I see their faces light up and I tell them, oh my God, your story is selected and you have a prize or we're going to publish your story. Like the response I get is just unbelievable. Like they get so excited and that, keeps on moving me. Yeah. And I think that is leaving an impact on society because we do need creative thinkers and being creative. I talk about this in my psychology class. When we talk about creativity is not, I can draw and make these beautiful pieces of art or I'm a musician or I'm like a poet or this like eloquent, you know, writer. It's just being able to make something right. Create something, maybe make something novel and new um, being able to think about things in a very different way. And we need those types of thinkers in this world because the world's very complex and it's getting more complex and you need creativity in your problem solving. So when mm-hmm. students can see themselves as creatives, then they can take that with them into whatever kind of profession that they want to do later in life. So that's definitely leaving an impact. And, you know, a little bit more about your nonprofit. So how do you actually do this? If this is, <laughs> do you get funding or is there, you know, um, any kind of grants or anything that helps this organization run itself? Yeah, yeah. So we've, um, these programs are paid programs. They are very affordable though. We are not, um, like I said, I mean, we charge money, which we think is fair and which mm-hmm. we also think would help manage running the program. So for example, a children's one hour session could be like 35 bucks. It's not expensive, but it Mm. is something that we know we would help us run the program and make it sustainable. We also apply for grants every now and then, and we have partners. Um, So for example, we are doing our first in-person culture and literary fest, which has lots of children's activities, about hundred schools are participating. Mm. And this is happening in India in, um, in the Himalayan Hills. So it's very mm-hmm. scenic and beautiful in a place called Dehradun. And the festival is called Varta, which means conversation. And mm. uh, we have two partners who are local nonprofits who have worked with uh, grant makers who are currently even like fundraising for the event. Uh, the, the event is free to attend, but we want to make sure that we have enough funds to run the event. Um, and that's how we would typically do it. Like we would define what the project is and then start, um, you know, applying for grants or we would sort of price it at an affordable rate so that the event can run itself. Um, and I think the ability of us to think that we are a mission driven organization that cares mm-hmm. more about the true impact children are having or educators are having or anyone who's participating allows me to not worry too much about, you know, am I making 100,000 on this program? Maybe not. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Because I think um, when you are doing things consistently well, and when you are Mm -hmm. doing things in a way that has impact, the money will follow. I genuinely Mm -hmm. my heart Mm -hmm. believe in that. And 
Sure, it takes a while for an organization to grow and be like financially secure and sustainable. I wouldn't say we have reached there because we are still so new as a nonprofit. But I have full faith that we can because mm-hmm. uh, when I see the feedback from teachers or, or students or anyone that or authors even that we engage with, it is overwhelmingly positive. So I know we are in the right direction. Mm, I love that. And I love that idea of when you stick to your mission, you know your impact and you're doing it for that, things will fall into place and they mm-hmm. do. And I just, I could see your organization growing. I mean, you just started in February. This is amazing. So it's not even, you know, halfway through the the year yet. Um, any other message you want to leave us with like where you see this growing in schools, maybe throughout the United States, Canada, the world, um, or like the ideas that you have to see, you know, full inclusivity in schools, anything you want to share? Yeah, I would love if I can work with schools. Uh, I guess that's like a future plan on how can we work with schools in an academic year to mm-hmm. do this on a in a way that the schools can participate because then it's um they know the students, they know the classrooms, they know what is the need coming from which um you know sort of cohort of kids. And that would help us um, as a partner. The schools don't need to have any financial investments because we are already producing all the content and we have the materials ready. But even if they could partner with us to sort of share this with students and work with us on that through the academic years, I think this would have, we could scale it better. Right now, um, we work with school many schools, but it's usually like on a very, um, I guess, one-on-one basis it would make make our lives and everyone's like it would scale the program would scale much better for all kids um if we were partnering with schools um throughout the academic year that's really my hope because you know it's kids are already in that mind space of learning when they are in school and our mm-hmm. teams can come in and, and be there at that time the other advantage of uh, a school system or having a partner like a school is that i love the idea that we can be global and we can do so many things on zoom but i'm also very aware of screen time and so i feel that you know a lot of our activities are actually hands-on like you know draw this color that like or like even here is how the story is read which i guess in in person is just nice for kids because i'm always thinking as a parent how do i keep reducing the screen time although to be honest like being having the availability on zoom does help us reach kids all over the world which is great in itself, but I would love to have like local presence or go to different schools where we can do in-person sessions more simply because it's just, I don't want to have like 20 hours of screen time for any child. So I'm trying to like be very mindful of that as well. Yeah. I think that would be um, a really great opportunity if you were able to grow it into different like areas and maybe have someone who like runs this region and they can go into schools Mm -hmm. and bring this program. I could see it like being part of like a lower school or elementary school program, especially their reading program and working that through the school year, it would be wonderful. And just Mm -hmm. to have students writing their own stories and then being able to submit them and win prizes and have recognition on a global scale um, would be wonderful. So thank you so much for sharing this today. And would you like to also, I'll plug this in the show notes, share um, your contact information or where's the best information for people to find you and also Peerbug. 
Yeah, so I think if people need to find any of the competitions specifically for kids or workshops, if they're interested, um, you can look up our website, which is peerbug.com. And for people who are on social media, we are uh, very active on Instagram specifically. And we are on peerbug.stories. That's our Instagram handle. And um, there are two or three reasons, like I would just call out. One, you would find out about new workshops, you know, what are some of our kids' competitions that are going on? And and thirdly, which I think I don't talk about as much, but I would like to, is that it is our mission that we bring diverse storytellers or diverse stories to everyone. So I really love our um, reading list series. We do something called as like one day see book or kitabi kisse. Like we have these different uh, sort of themes that we run where we introduce new books, whether you're in elementary, middle school, young adults, and we give uh, recommendations every week. And I think mm -hmm. that, you know, sometimes I see people trying to find out, so what should I read about this? And, and we have books which they can read because we keep making recommendations, interviewing authors here in the United States who are writing about these diverse stories, which is another good way to know um, here's a new book I want to pick for a library or here's a new book I want to read to my kids. And and that's a, a good way to sort of get that information through our um, social channels. Thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. I think the work you're doing is great. Uh, making kids feel like so you know special and lit up and becoming these authors is wonderful. And I just all of this kind of developing so quickly for you. It's very exciting <laughs> and I hope it continues to grow. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much, Jackie. I appreciate it. And, um, you know, have a great day ahead and hopefully I'll get to read your book soon. Thank you. Have a great day. Too. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Teacher's Story. If you like this story, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also follow this podcast on YouTube and subscribe and leave a comment. All reviews help this podcast keep going and elevating teacher voices.